going to uh, read from God's Word. If you have uh, one of the church Bibles in front of you, we're going to read Ephesians uh, chapter 6, uh, verses 10 to 20. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. If you do want a Bible, there are some out the front. Uh, it's good to have it in front of you uh, to follow. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 20. In the church Bibles, it's page 1177. Uh, 1177. Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. In my newspaper last week, I saw a picture, and I hope it should appear on the screen to show you now. It's a picture of an American vehicle called a Ridgeback, and the discussion in the newspaper is whether this should be supplied to replace the uh, British-built Land Rover for troops in Afghanistan. The point being that this has greater armour and is more likely to be able to survive uh, the bombs which have been causing such devastation by being hidden in the ground. It was a reminder of this discussion which we've all been hearing so much about in the news recently about whether our troops have the right equipment and whether the government has been doing enough to make sure that they had all that they need to fight this strategic battle. Now if you were here last Sunday you will remember that uh, Neil in the evening closed with the quotation which we now have in front of us. Unless we pray for those in the front line we are sending troops into battle without the equipment they need. Unless we pray, we are sending troops into battle without the equipment that they need. Last Sunday evening, Neil began a series in praying for others. And he was concerned about praying for fruit, for the work of the gospel. We're to continue that this evening by looking at something a little narrower, and that is in prayer for evangelism. And particularly in prayer for courage in evangelism. Now, I have to admit 
that I'm one of the last people that should be here tonight talking about two subjects like this. My prayer life is not what it ought to be and very few of us can say that it is. So we need to be thinking about how we can better pray. And as for courage in speaking to other people about the gospel, well the word that we're going to look at in the Bible is fearless and we have all kinds of fears about doing that, don't we? We have a, a fear that we may not be able to say things properly, that we may uh, not explain things as we should. We are afraid that they won't take any notice. After all, why should they listen to me? Uh, we have fears about the relatively uh, low level of fruit there is in terms of the amount of work that is done. We have a lot of fears about the subject of evangelism. And so we need courage. And we need courage at all levels in the question of our evangelism. So we're going to look at Ephesians 6, 19 and 20. I'll read these words again to you, which we read a few moments ago. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. We're going to divide this into three areas to look at. First of all, we need to ask courage for our own battles, because as we shall see, none of us is without responsibility in this matter of witnessing to other people. Secondly, we need to ask courage for God's ambassadors. Did you notice that's what he calls himself here, an ambassador? We're going to see what the Bible tells us about ambassadors. And we shall discover something that we may not have realized before, that we are all ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And then we're going to look at the matter of courage for our preachers, because here Paul is speaking as a preacher of the gospel, and he's very concerned that he should speak about the gospel in his teaching, his preaching, fearlessly. So those are the three areas we're going to look at. We need to ask courage for our own battles, for God's ambassadors, and for our preachers. First of all then, why do we take up this matter of our own battles? Well, it's because we read the whole of Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, and we saw that the background to what is here in this text about evangelism is the background of the spiritual battle that we are all involved in. Verse 12, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And he's not thinking just of himself, is he? He's thinking about the Christians he's writing, at, writing to in the church at Ephesus. He's saying we're all involved in a spiritual battle. One of the things that we come to realize when we become Christians is that we are opposed by the devil. He's been opposing us before we even came to Christ. But certainly on the side of Jesus Christ, we are in this battle not against flesh and blood, but against what he calls here these rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world. Now, Paul is identifying himself with them in their struggles. And so he's saying in verse 19, our text this evening, pray also for me. There's a, a, a big area here of being in it together. And he's concerned about this 
reference to there being fellow soldiers with him and praying for each other. Now twice he refers to being fearless in this battle because fear is one of the big issues. If we don't understand what it means to be opposed by the powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil, then we know little about fear. But the more we consider how long experience the devil has in fighting against the people of God, how many centuries he's been doing it, how frail and weak we are, then fear is a very big uh, issue. Before I go any further, let me simply say, I do find it encouraging that when Paul's dealing with this subject, he, he does say, we're not alone in it. That's one of the encouragements, isn't it? That we're not alone in the spiritual battle. That we are in a body together. We're in an army together. We have a captain of our salvation. And the letter to the Ephesians is full of this subject of the togetherness of the people of God. He deals with it earlier in chapter 2, the big subject of, of bringing together the Jews and the Gentiles. Look at the first chapter. Turn back a couple of pages where in the introduction to his letter, verse 15, for this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He's been praying for them because they're together in this spiritual battle. We are concerned to see it in that context. But coming back to Ephesians 6, there is also an enormous encouragement in the previous verse to our text. Because whilst he's been talking about the battle and the Christian armour, and he begins in verse 18 to talk about prayer, he uses an expression which is a vast blessing to the people of God. He says, and pray in the Spirit. Now that little word in, in the English language, represents a Greek preposition which can mean in and by. By the Spirit. It's only by the Spirit that we can pray. It's only the Spirit that tells us what kind of God we can pray to. It's only the Spirit who assures us that we are heard in heaven because we're adopted into his family. It's the Spirit which teaches us the promises of God that we can plead them in our prayers. It's the Spirit that gives to the Christian something which he cannot get from any other source. The zeal to go on to fight the passion to be involved in this work. This is a spiritual blessing. And he's saying in your prayers, pray by the Spirit. Now look at the range of prayer he's talking about here. On all occasions, all kinds of prayers. Yes, thanking God, honouring God, beseeching God. Don't be afraid, however, he says, to include your requests. To pray and ask for the things you need. If we need courage for our battles, then the Spirit says, ask and you will receive. In fact, James in one of his letters says one of the big reasons why we don't receive is because we don't ask. If we ask in the name of Jesus, praying by the Spirit, then he will give to us. This matter of our spiritual battle is something which is so significant as we have the help of God, the Holy Spirit. In the very introduction to the matter, 
of the Christian armour in verse 10. That's why we began to read at verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Who's going to convince us that in our battles we have a mighty power on our side? This is the grace of God, the Holy Spirit. So, what are we going to say? We're going to say we need to ask for courage in our spiritual battles in evangelism. That means that you and I have got to get hold of things like this, the notice sheet for the week. You know, you're given one as you come in and you have a look at it when you get home and uh, you put it somewhere and then forget it. Do we? We should be using this to go through what's happening day by day to pray for the evangelism of the spiritual battle going on in the work God's given us to do here. If we don't know the details of what the needs are for all the work, many of us have got one of these. This is not just a telephone book, although it is used usefully to give us the telephone numbers and email addresses of some of our friends who are members, but at the beginning of this it gives us information about all the various activities that are going on and all of these are part of our spiritual battle. They're part of what we're doing in interfacing with the darkness of this world, with the light and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are the means that we have to help us to see that our spiritual battles, our, in the sense of our family, our, peop our people in the church here, what is going on at Cornerstone, what is going on in other uh, churches in the area, these are ways in which we have to see that we are not outside this battle. We are in it. And we've got to use the means that God has made available to us in order to be able to pray for the evangelistic effectiveness of these things. You know, people don't spend month after month looking after little children in the middle of the week at a club just so the children may come and have a good time. It's not because they just want older people to be entertained for an afternoon, but patiently they try to befriend them and bring them along week after week. It's so that they might be saved. It's so that they might hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and be brought to him. And we don't do this easily. We do this because we're opposed by all the powers of darkness. But we do it in the power of God. That's why we must pray. And that's why prayer for courage in our own battles locally is so important. Let's move on then to this matter of being ambassadors. Look at the word that's used here. He says, pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Now this is, this is irony. This is Paul writing to these Christians and saying, I'm in the court of King, G King Caesar. I'm here in Rome. And I'm here because God has sent me as his representative. Well, it wasn't quite like the normal ambassador, was it? He was an ambassador in chains. He was there because he'd been accused of a terrible crime. And because he was a Roman citizen and he'd appealed to Caesar, 
they said, well, you better go to Caesar and be tried. And so he went all the way to Rome there and he was on trial for his life. But turn to the book of Acts, will you? The very last words of the whole of the book of Acts. This tells you what he was doing when he got to Rome. Acts 28, verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him boldly and without hindrance. He preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Have I got soldiers chained up to me? I'll tell them about the gospel. Have I got people who can come and visit me? He was given the privacy of his own house to do so. Then I'll tell them about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees himself there in the court of Caesar, but as a representative of the King Jesus, in whose name he's going to declare the unsearchable riches of Christ. What a wonderful representative and example he is to us. Now for this next point, we've got to turn to one of his other letters. It's the letter to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians and chapter 5. Now I can still remember being asked to speak at a conference in Gloucester some years ago on this chapter. And I discovered something that I really hadn't noticed before. If you've got your Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, you'll find the reference in verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. And I thought, who are the we? Who are Christ's ambassadors? And if you trace it back, he says in verse 18, Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Well, who are the us? In verse 17, it's everybody who is in Christ. Everybody who is a new creation in Christ is the us. And he says, we are the ambassadors. This is not some select few. This is not some special category. This is not some people who have been a commission, commissioned to go to a particular city to represent their king. This is all the people who are in Christ are ambassadors. What a different way of thinking about the place where you work, that you're there as an ambassador for Jesus, They're the represent the kingdom of God. It may be a place of much darkness. It can't be much worse a place and Paul was in, in Rome, you can't be in much worse circumstances than being chained up to a soldier, but he sees himself there as an ambassador, as representing King Jesus. We are there in our place of work, or the street where we live, the neighbours that we have. It's this kind of weather, you know, that gets you to speak to your neighbours. I've only got to start cutting my front grass tomorrow morning, and they'll all be chatting to me as they go past. It's fine weather that brings us out to be able to talk to people. And we're there to represent King Jesus as his ambassadors. Ah, oh, but we don't want to do it, do we? We are fearful of it. We are drawing back from it all the time. That's why he says we need to have courage 
if we're going to represent him in the right way. God may give particular roles to some particular people in the church who may be gifted to work amongst the, the children or amongst the elderly, but all of us have some responsibility. But I want to take the opportunity tonight, using this idea of an ambassador, to help to set our missionary support in the right context. Because missionaries are Christians, just like us, who have been sent, not to the place where you live, but to some other place and some other culture, there to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And we get news about them. And uh, if you go on the way out, you'll find some prayer letters for some of the missionaries that we support. We've been getting email uh, news about them recently. We had one last week which gave details about Mick and Margaret Foster, Philip and Judy Hewer, and John and Abby Hunt. And I was just uh, thinking about what a different culture means in fact as being an ambassador there. Paddy prayed for John and Abby who start teaching tomorrow in a new place in Tofa in the north of Nigeria. And they say in their prayer letter, one of the things we have to do before we start teaching on Monday, so I hope they've done it by now, is to go to visit the local headman of the area. The leaders and representatives of the Muslim authorities where he's going to teach and serve God. Now that's something culturally which they have to do. They've got to adjust to a very different culture in the way in which they're going to be ambassadors there for the Lord Jesus Christ. Or Mick and Margaret are talking in their prayer letter about some workshops that they're going to run. They're going to run some workshops for uh, Bible translation assistants and they're going to run them in this country. And they're going to bring people from Central Asia. Now, I've never been to Central Asia it sounds a very exotic place, Central Asia, isn't it? Can you imagine what it's like for somebody from Central Asia to come to Stoken Church? What different food they're going to have to eat? What different customs they're going to be involved in? Not just what different languages they're going to speak. Our brothers and sisters who are called to this kind of work, they're being ambassadors in a very different culture. But they're still facing the same enemy. They're still facing these spiritual powers of darkness. They're still those who need courage because of what there is to be afraid of. There are some things to be afraid of in northern Nigeria where John and Abby are which we don't have to be afraid of because of the kind of problems that have been going on there recently. Literally people are being killed because they dare to mention the name of Jesus Christ in some of their homes and cultures. They need courage, don't they? And they need us to pray. We are to be praying for those people that they may have courage in being ambassadors for Christ where God has put them. Special needs call for special courage and special prayer. And thirdly, I want to address the subject of preachers because this is probably the primary reference in this text, 
pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, he's talking himself about himself as a preacher, a teacher of God's word. He's concerned for his friends in Ephesus. He said that in the letter. He's encouraging them in their spiritual battle. He's saying they should be praying for each other. But he's also saying, pray for me too. He knows that he needs something he can't get himself. He knows that he needs the strength to stand up against the enemy. He's humble enough to say, I need the help of my friends if I'm going to be a preacher properly. Now there's an expression here that's a bit unusual. He says that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me. He's praying for two things. He's praying for what he says and then the courage of how to say it. John Stott, when he comments on this in his commentary, puts together two things. He says he needs both clarity and courage. Clarity without courage, Scott says, is like sunshine in the desert. Plenty of light, but nothing worth looking at. Courage without clarity is like a beautiful landscape at night. Plenty to see, but no light by which to enjoy it. What he needs, he says, is both clarity and courage. Now here's something I do know a bit about. The fears of being a preacher and the need we have of courage and clarity to do it properly. Preaching is a a person-to-person experience. Not preacher to people, but God to people. Where God addresses us through his word, through the people he set apart and gifted to be his instruments, but so that we might hear the word of God. And in that, only God can give us the right words to do it. Turn just a few pages over in your Bible to Colossians, where he says exactly the same thing in Colossians chapter 4. In the context of prayer, Colossians 4 verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. He wants clarity, he wants the right words in order to say that. Now, why do you think that's so important to him? Well, it's all to do with this matter of courage. You see, some of the things we have to say in preaching the gospel are bad news. The people who are not Christians don't like to be told that this life is only a short preparation and eternity is far more important than making money and being a success in this life. People don't like being told that. People don't like to be told that there is a God in heaven who is a God who made us and to whom we are answerable. The whole matter of authority today is something people don't want to know about. They don't want to feel they're answerable to anybody. I can do my own thing. 
be answerable to God who will judge me. A God who is a God of wrath. A God of anger. Who says that you are utterly helpless and unable to do anything towards your own salvation. That doesn't do with today's idea of pride and what we can accomplish. Yet these are elements of the gospel. To be told that in all the religions of the world there is only one message that saves. And if anyone does not talk to us about the sole sufficiency of the cross of Jesus Christ, they're using the devil's lies and they're going to blind us and people don't like that. That's very unpopular in these days where we're trying to talk about a, a, a harmony and of different religions in our society, to be told there is only one message, only one saviour, and that we are helpless until we fall at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance. That's bad news for people today. And so, it's very easy to soft-pedal those hard things, to say, well, I won't include that, I won't say much about that. But just talk about the nice thing, that God loves everybody. Of course God loves everybody. But the way in which God loves everybody is by sending his own son to take the punishment that we deserved. And you see, that's where the preacher needs words given him by God. He needs clarity to be able to express the fact that there is a God of justice, but he is the God of grace. It needs words to be given to us so that when we are preaching, we get the tone right that it's not thunderbolts from heaven against this poor, helpless sinner. It is Jesus coming to say, I'll take it for you. I'll be your saviour. To get the tone right. We need words from God. This is not an easy thing to do. And our preachers need clarity and courage to do this. That's why we should be praying like this every Sunday for every preacher. I'm delighted at all the other things that go on in this church which to reach people with the gospel. I'm absolutely delighted that that's happening. It's great. But my friends, we must not undervalue the Sunday preaching as a means of evangelism. When our children come here and are old enough to come and sit with us in the service. They need to be saved. When our grandchildren come to visit us and we bring them here, they need to be saved. We mustn't lose the words that the Bible uses that says we are lost until we're saved. The Bible talks about damnation as well as glory. And so we need to see that in order to do that and get that right, our preachers need courage and clarity. And we must be praying for them so that this Sunday preaching becomes a means of evangelism in which it is effective not because of clever preachers but because God's power is greater than all these spiritual powers of darkness. I must conclude. God delights to save sinners. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. 
But that's also why he gave preachers and teachers the responsibility of passing on that message. He delights to answer prayer for this to be done. On my desk I've got a little cutting that came out of a Wycliffe Bible Translator's prayer guide some few years ago. It has a quotation from a language in Kenya of 1 Peter 3.12. The ears of the Lord, he has tied them to the prayers of the righteous. I thought that was lovely. The ears of the Lord, he's tied them to the prayers of the righteous. What's that saying? It's saying, if God's going to hear prayer for evangelism to be effective, it's got to be the prayers of the righteous that reach him. There are many reasons why we should pray. There are many reasons why we should pray more. There are many reasons why we should pray for evangelism and for courage in evangelism. But here's one reason that God has said that if we are willing to pray, he is willing to answer. God give us grace to do so.